0: Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion.
1: Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast deemed too hot for the People's Republic of China. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the clasp on America's Bible bra. You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org, or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us here on Public Reality Radio, WPRR, Ada Grand Rapids, and W237CZ Hudsonville, 1680 AM and 95.3 FM. My name is Dave Fletcher, and with me in the studio are my fellow Doubtcasters, Mr. Jeremy Bean. Yellow. Yeah, And Dr. Professor Luke Galen. Hello. And joining us today, our special guest here in the studio for the whole show is Mr. Justin Schieber. Hello. Not to be confused with Justin
0: Bieber. I didn't think that that was going to happen. No, it it, 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 (laughs) did. I warned you. you.
1: You put it in my head before we started. I couldn't avoid it.
0: Yeah,
2: Justin's going to be joining us for an interview later on about uh, debating, getting into debates with theists and apologists, and everything right. else that goes along with that.
1: So you're one of those masochists who actually debates theists on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. I don't. It's it's a pretty irrational thing. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, <laughs> we all have hobbies. Battering our head against a brick wall <laughs> yeah, is is right. one of mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good times. It's good
1: times.
2: So uh, our little tagline coming in. Uh, Maybe it requires a little bit of explanation.
1: That we are too hot for the People's Republic of China. We
2: received uh, an email from a listener telling us that we are actually banned in China.
1: Which is really cool, but I I have to wonder, isn't like the whole internet banned in China? (laughs) I mean, how good is that really? That's what what I was
2: thinking. I put something up on, on my Facebook about it. And got all these compliments, you know. At first, people going like, "Wow, your renegade critical thinking <laughs> that you're teaching must be too much for the, you know, for the commies right. to handle." Type yeah. of thing for the
3: officially and, atheist communist party, <laughs> yeah, with, yeah, where religion is poison yeah, for yeah.
2: Well, that's actually what I'm thinking. I, I'm thinking they have software censor the internet, not a human being. Yeah,
1: well, and sure. if you
2: look at our blog, it says at the top of it, voted best. Religion podcast. That's right. We have Christianity, Judaism, Jesus, Buddhism, Dalai Lama, these types of words popping up over and over and over again. I think we're actually censored in China because we're too religious to their search. It's it's religious
0: persecution. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's claim that. That'll uh... (laughs) –
3: I've always had this fantasy that anybody would care enough about what I do that, 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 that the police would, like, burst into the studio and start <laughs> throwing papers around. That's when you've made it as a liberal, exactly. you know, rabble-rouser. <laughs> exactly. you know, the cops of this is reasonable doubts from the pirate radio boat off the coast of Lake
2: Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been thrown in jail for free
1: expression yet. I, uh, I really haven't made it. Let's keep working on it. Uh, <laughs> coming up also later in the show, we've got Props and Shitlist, Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, but first, since we've been gone for a fairly long time, and, and weirdly enough... Two months, just over two most months. Most of our now. listeners don't seem to have noticed that. <laughs> but in that time, there have been a lot of news stories that we didn't get to talk about. And rather than spending, you know, an hour covering all of the news stories that we missed over the last two months, we thought we'd do a a quick, like, speed news Segment.
2: So for this one, we've all done a healthy dose of amphetamine. <laughs> and no, only me. Right.
1: <laughs> so so Justin has as our guest. We're putting him to work. He has a list of headlines um, that he will uh, read to us, and then we'll we'll get a chance to respond in quick soundbite fashion.
0: To be. Painfully honest, uh, I'm a pretty regular listener and I didn't notice a thing. You guys were gone for two months. <laughs> wow. <minutes. That's>, uh, <laughs> that hurts. Just <laughs> a little. Wow. Bringing us down. The, the, the first of the headlines here, uh, Andrew Wakefield's study linking autism with, vac- with vaccinations uh, exposed as a fraud.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, this study was not only bad science, but now we know it was outright fraud. And yet, not a single anti-vaxxer will care.
3: It's a little bit like the uh, equivalent headlines of vitamin C doesn't really cure cold. (laughs) (laughs) Vitamin C sales remain constant.
2: Yeah, only nobody's getting measles from...
3: Mumps uh, outbreak (laughs) in in Southern California epidemic proportion.
0: (laughs) Don't ask, don't tell repeal causes concerns among religious groups that military chaplains may be asked to step down if they disagree with the gay agenda.
1: Well, best case scenario, all chaplains leave the military in protest. Gaze in, religion out. The military will be more secular and more fabulous.
3: <laughs> That's right. The the camo would be much more stylish than scarfs. <laughs>
0: yes. Scarfs, fabulous ones. It's That's
3: not that. a scarf. It's and a he,
0: cravat. The assassination attempt in Arizona leaves five dead.
1: Three things we should take away from this story, but won't. First, we need better gun control. We need better access to mental health care providers, and the right needs to cut out the violent, dehumanizing rhetoric that attempts to delegitimize the opposition. But beyond all other factors that helped push him to do it, Loeffner and Loeffner alone is responsible. Let's do what we can to make sure this sort of thing never happens again.
2: My take on this is there's an intricate tapestry of causality. Deterministic web. Yes, Yes. a deterministic web of causality that goes into making something like this happen. So I can't say what caused it, but I'm pretty sure it's the fault of everybody who disagrees with my own personal political views. (laughs) I'm just absolutely certain that's going to pan out to be the case. Fair enough, fair enough. (laughs)
0: Sarah Palin calls herself the victim of blood libel in the wake of the Arizona shooting.
1: Okay, so either A, Palin intentionally used bigoted language when talking about an incident involving the attempted assassination of a Jewish congresswoman. Or B, Palin (laughs) is a complete moron (laughs) who used a phrase she did not understand. And being that dumb (laughs) is just as much a condemnation as being intentionally racist. I, uh, I was thinking B. Either that or you know how
2: it is. You're reading anti-Semitic literature,
4: <laughs> and
2: a little phrase comes up from time to time. You don't know exactly what it is, and then you're talking, it's and it so just kind of comes yeah, out. It's what so turns out.
3: She says, I heard that from Mel Gibson. I didn't know it had a meaning. <laughs> I was talking with Mel over a cup of coffee, and he mentioned blood libel, and it just got into my vocabulary that way.
0: In response to Fred Phelps in the Westboro Baptist Church— A planned protest of the funerals of victims of the shootings in Tucson, Arizona, quickly passed legislation to outlaw protests at funerals. This
2: is when all of our legislation concerning our civil rights and the First Amendment needs to be done quickly at a moment when people are emotionally outraged. Mm
1: -hmm. And I can't imagine why anyone ever needs to protest a funeral, but (laughs) – as a free speech advocate, something about restricting speech, even hate speech, makes
3: me really uncomfortable. Can you imagine yeah. what's going to happen when Fred Phelps dies? Like, See, again, that, you know, you know, <laughs> no one will us. be allowed. Do you have, an, yeah, like, <laughs> do you have right. an idea of how many people, pissed off, like bikers, <laughs> veterans, gays, are going to be waiting in line oh, man. Those in Topeka are be some to standing in line things. to like protest at that? We're
0: going to need some really catchy <laughs> phrases on just loud yeah, neon signs. God hates Fred. Pakistani Governor Salman Tassir assassinated.
1: A Muslim man brave enough to stand up for the rights of women and religious minorities was shot in the back and, and by speech. a cowardly extremist. And we're going to keep seeing this kind of thing until the former outnumbers the latter.
3: They have a blasphemy law in Pakistan, right? So you can't badmouth Muhammad or yep. talk smack. And, then and he some, spoke openly <clears throat> against it. There's some, there was an incident I think in his province where a, a Christian woman was um, – Uh, There's a small percentage of Christians there. Obviously, most of people are Muslim. And so she got into smack talk with some of the Muslims, and then they said, oh, she blasphemed Muhammad, Mm -hmm. put her in jail, and now she's under sentence of death with stoning. He was one of the politicians, I think, that defended her and said, come on. And his bodyguard shot him. Yes. Saying that, you know, uh, well, if he's going to oh, defend – Bodyguard you know, shot him.
1: His body – well, his bodyguard who has, was recently um, put on the detail of being uh, – uh, as his bodyguard oh, okay. shot him. He was someone who never should have been put in that position because it was clear just by looking at him, literally because of the bruises on his face, that he was a Muslim extremist and should not have been put in that job. So conspiracy? Possibly.
3: Well, there's a whole bunch – even in the law, the legal system, there's a whole bunch of lawyers there that are uh, you know, right-wing and that they yep. say that the blasphemy law should you know, remain standing mm. and, and that they support his killing, taking mm. him out.
0: Yep, yep. <laughs> Illinois Congressman John Shimkus, chair of the House Subcommittee on Energy and Environment, says that we don't need to fear global warming because God promised Noah he wouldn't flood the world again.
1: In related news, the brain trust behind the Creation Museum is building their own ark to know. scale. Oh, it's awesome,
3: yeah. and they're
1: putting animals in it. Now, as soon as the polar bears start dying from heat exhaustion, um, it'll become pretty clear that this is a myth. Okay,
2: <laughs> I can't wait to see the stats on how much food uh, they yeah. have to bring and in poop? and they how have many
3: species. Yes, they need to. You take know out.
0: that. You know that secretly they are <laughs> waterproofing the bottom of that in case God does <laughs> decide to flood the world again. You're absolutely
3: Just, right. Years from now, after a civilization is dust, I, I would like to. But I don't know. I'd like to be in, like some archaeologist of the future coming back. We found in this place that used to be Kentucky a <laughs> uh, humongous boat. My hypothesis is a great flood occurred because they built this boat in Kentucky.
0: Turns out it's just a geologic formation. Uh, mass deaths of animals around the world lead to fears of impending apocalypse.
2: Man, I was away from the news too long.
1: You missed Mass this? Deaths of Animals. You what didn't the hell are the is birds, birds falling out of the sky?
2: Oh yeah, but this was like in there were, Arkansas, yep,
1: right? Yep. But it no, it happened everywhere. There there was um some crabs in the UK and birds <laughs> elsewhere and fish and everything. And and the thing is, it turns out that these mass deaths happen all the time. Which is actually, like, way more scary to me than any impending Uh, apocalypse or conspiracy (laughs) theory. I I was going to say, did all the dolphins vanish (laughs)
2: all of a sudden? It's
3: exactly the opposite of that uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Happening, where instead of people hurling themselves (laughs) off buildings, I imagine all these, like, you know, porpoises, like, throwing themselves in front of ships and, like, (laughs) must kill self.
0: That movie's so bad. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, and the biggest news of them all, uh, a 13th astrological sign has been added to the Zodiac.
1: You know, I went from being hung like a horse to being a guy holding his massive snake, so I'm okay with this astrology <laughs> stuff.
3: I need a whole new gold medallion uh, to go onto my flowing gesture.
2: That's what I was going to say. The only change for me is I need to buy a new lighter.
3: What is it called? What's the new sign called? Does anyone know that? Ophiuchus. Or something like that, Ophiuchus?
0: I'm just glad astrology has a way of, of self-correcting.
3: <laughs> yes, <right. laughs> so all those times, all those studies of like Better horoscopes that, that showed that they were wrong or that they were random, this is why. It's because all the – Because the, they were uh, wrong. wrong. Yes. Yeah, you adjust
1: yes. for Ophiuchus or whatever his name is and suddenly everything works. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the, so lotto players, check out your new <laughs> lotto numbers based on the new <laughs> sign. It was been corrected
1: uh now there's there's one more news item that we wanted to get a little bit more in depth with here um it's kind of it's kind of a recurring theme on the show right yeah so much so that if it wasn't
2: in really bad taste we would have we would have theme music for it
1: <laughs> oh boy <laughs> yes, yes it's the uh Catholic sex abuse scandal marching on um this time. Uh, some people are claiming that the uh, the real smoking gun has finally been released. And this is, I think, the third or fourth smoking gun document that, uh, that's come out about the uh, Catholic sexual abuse. Yes, coming from the good old
2: New York Times, who does an excellent job reporting on this issue. Yes. The article entitled, Vatican Letter Warned Bishops on Abuse Policy. Says a newly disclosed document reveals that Vatican officials told the bishops of Ireland in 1997 that they had serious reservations about the bishop's policy of mandatory reporting of priests suspected of child abuse to police or civil authorities. The story actually starts off with kind of a good thing that you could say about at least the bishops <laughs> in Ireland. Yes. Back in 1996, after the first wave of, uh, of scandals erupted in Ireland.
1: Right. This is a very the, big the, deal. The big uh, um, Expose, I guess, in in Ireland came out showing right. how just how bad the problem was. Yeah, and the Irish bishops had drawn up
2: a, a new policy. I, I'm not sure that it had gone into effect, but they had started whatever kind of their preliminary documents mm-hmm. and and research on how should they how could they implement this. Right, their new policy at that time would have required mandatory reporting of any anybody suspected to have been an abuser.
1: To the police.
2: Yes, to the to the police. Not to
1: the Vatican. Right. To actual authorities who Not will actually do something. Not just keeping it internal. Yes.
2: Making sure there's outside accountability as well. The Vatican wrote them a letter,
1: mm-hmm.
2: a specific office of the Vatican, which was tasked at that time for taking care of these uh, these types of issues. The office of the congregation for the
1: clergy. What, now, was – this was not the office that Joey Ratz was controlling at
3: the time, right?
1: No, he'd That's be the office, the office of that the came after.
3: Doctrine it. and the faith, something. Yeah. yeah, yeah yes. Yeah. Okay. It's more doctrinal.
1: So this doesn't specifically directly implicate Joey Ratz. In, no, we
2: have his signature on other got documents. Not, right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We don't uh, need
2: another. But request. the reason why they're calling this a smoking gun is because I uh, so a little bit of background is in, in case you haven't noticed watching this issue. One of the typical defenses for the Vatican is to say, uh, well, this is all the, the local bishops' fault. Right. You know, they have control over these areas. This actually shows that uh, we we have a clear instance now of local bishops who did want to do the right thing and had drafted a policy to do that, right. and they're being told not to
1: by the Vatican. And surely they had a good reason for it, right? They had a good reason to say, no, 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 don't take these to civil authorities because what could happen?
2: I'm not going to read the entire text of the of uh, the document,
1: but, but the whole letter is available online. Yes, check it out. It's uh,
2: we'll we'll have the link to the New York Times story, and yeah. they have a link to the document. Basically, the gist is this: uh, they have their own canon law procedures for defrocking these priests, investigating and defrocking them, mm-hmm. and they're concerned that if this is reported to the civil authorities, somehow this might invalidate their their canon law procedures. Right. And so the priest might be able to get his defrocking procedure rejected on technical grounds because they didn't follow the minutiae of canon law. At least that's what I got from Well, yeah. So
1: the so essentially by making this a civil case, it might get in the way of church procedures.
2: Right, right. Here's the quote from the letter. If such procedures were to be followed by bishops and there were cases of eventual hierarchical recourse lodged at the Holy See, the results could be, here's the key language, Mm -hmm. highly embarrassing and detrimental to those same diocesan authorities.
3: A standard policy, if you ever work for an agency, if you find yourself typing a sentence that on a document that says this could be highly embarrassing, imagine whatever that you're talking about compared to the embarrassment of the fact that you're typing a sentence that says yeah. this could be highly embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, exactly, You should always do that calculus. Thank you. Of, I mean, what if it gets yes. out that I wrote this document?
1: Right. But, yeah. well, but the letter goes on to say, in particular, the situation of mandatory reporting gives rise to serious reservations of both a moral and canonical nature. Really? What? What moral they, issues they are there? Well, yeah. they
2: don't really say. They don't. The one that was brought up by the National Catholic Reporter uh, – but again, they can't back it up. The language is ambiguous. You know, It's not telling us what's going on here. But they were suspecting uh, the moral problem would be uh, ruining a priest's bad name.
4: You by, mean ruining
2: their good name. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Freudian slip there. <laughs> uh, ruining a priest's good name. Right. By just re- and, okay, on a surface level, there's something to be said uh, about uh, that. the second an accusation yes. of something scandalous of a sexual nature gets out. It doesn't matter if the person is vindicated in the end. Yes. It's, it's a big blow to their reputation. It does harm them. So I could, I could see that side of things. But uh, when you're just dealing with a catastrophic scandal on right. your hands, I think you should trust the authorities first.
1: Well, but of course there, there's been Catholic response to this uh, uh, release as well, of, Yeah, including from our very favorite Catholic of them all, <sighs> Bill Donahue Bill of Donahue. the Catholic League. I think we need to start on this podcast a
2: Bill Donahue Award for <laughs> – for <laughs> distinguished performance In disgusting and Incomprehensible
1: uh, argumentation Yeah, yeah <laughs>
2: apologetics in the service of religion th- so- Something that we reserve For the highest level
3: <laughs> He always struck me as like, if you remember When Saddam Hussein was in power, he had that press guy Tarek Aziz, who would go on and like <laughs> His job <laughs> was I've got to explain how Saddam Hussein Is going to win and yes. all his policies Are just and
4: The, the US the is right where
3: we want we them, want them you know, as, as the bombs are dropping and, well, have, the, have the trophy for this award be like a huge set of two <laughs> spherical objects like, <laughs> cast iron, like you know. Okay, Donahue, your job is to go out and defend the Catholic Church <laughs>
2: Go yeah. get them Here was his response on the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights website Here's his response I'll just paraphrase The first one is This report shows the opposite of what the press has said. It actually shows what powerful steps they were making to prevent abuse.
1: No, it shows what the Irish diocese was going to try to do before the Vatican stepped in and said, no, don't do that because that might actually get results.
2: Uh, Second response is a brief little blame the victim thing in there, Uh, you know, a sneering mention of steeple-chasing lawyers uh, wanting us to believe that this document somehow condemns the Roman Catholic Church. Third excuse, the Jews do it too. The Jews. He says, um, last month, several media outlets ran a story on how a rabbinical court in Brooklyn ordered its 10,000 members not to report crimes to the police. But the New York Times doesn't report on this. The New York Times
1: read Jew paper, right, <laughs>
2: right, yeah. I'm surprised he didn't call out the author of that being Laurie Goodstein. Goodstein. I was just
1: <laughs> and the ACLU and Planned Parenthood. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. That's just...
2: that's the cherry on on top of the uh, the the uh, well, what did the Sunday, the <laughs> icing on top of the cake. I almost mixed my metaphors there. The cherry on top of the cake um, <laughs> sounds kind of good. <laughs> He, he says the the reason why there is no mandatory reporting for these crimes is because of the New York Civil Liberties Union and the family planning advocates. Who wants mandatory reporting for everyone? The Catholic bishops want it. <laughs> it's the liberal media and liberal activist groups who don't. So somehow, somehow we manage at the very end to turn this around. It's the that is evil ACLU and stuff family planning. That right
3: there. Yeah. I could see the liberal media right now like, you know, we can't let these abuse figures get out about the church. Let's cover it up.
2: There has Since we first initially – well, actually, I think our very first episode was
1: covering this Yes, scandal. we did. Actually, our So first this has episode. been a
2: reoccurring theme. Mm-hmm. But since our, our last uh, big set in the past year
1: – Last fall, I think it was. Yeah. yeah.
2: There has been one claim that's being used by the apologists of the Catholic Church that I think does deserve some attention. We've gotten a lot of email from listeners talking about this. It's the claim that, say what you will about the Catholic Church, the priests actually abuse at a much, much lower rate Mm -hmm. than other similar institutions or even just the general male population. Right. There's a much lower rate of abuse. Generally, the estimates of the number of priests that have abused is somewhere from 2% to 4%. So this is an argument you hear, and people wonder: is there any legitimacy to it?
1: Well, this sounds like something that involves a lot of statistics. And I know when I think statistics, I think Dr.
3: Professor Luke Galen. Luke Galen, you need to. Uh, I think you need to <laughs> hire uh, uh, just your own statistician to do this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. The reports that say that, like the uh, you know priests are less likely to abuse than the general public. We can. We're going to talk about that, you know, and we can suss out some of these details. But the bottom line for all of this, the starting point is all we have to go on is what's been reported. Right. And so, if there is any type of bias or, or error in the reports, where there's like, you know, uh, uh, underreporting, which is almost certainly the case that yes. the cases that we know about are a, a proportion of what's actually not just occurred. within
1: the Catholic Church, with but anything. everywhere. Yeah. Yes. So you know, yep. that's,
3: and that goes with any type of yeah. So like sexual abuse, obviously the right. factors in the past childhood sexual abuse that are reported. So we the, the bottom line is a lot of the stuff we really don't know. And mm-hmm. so small alterations in that like maybe as what you guys were just talking about that maybe some cases weren't reported or that there's a systematic bias in that a, a group or an institution is somehow inhibiting the cases being reported could alter what we know about it mm-hmm. hugely. Having said that, the um I really don't find any problems with that conclusion that the rates of abuse among Catholic institutions are about equivalent to other types of institutions in that one of the explanations is that we see so many or that there's an epidemic is that they simply have so many institutions. That there's a lot of Catholic organizations and they run hospitals group and homes schools you know, and orphanages. everything else. yeah, yeah. And, and so and such that what their defense is that I think is partially true and that is the numbers seem pretty large, but that's because there's a lot of, it's a huge system with a lot of kids mm-hmm. and particularly the type where you tend to see this thing are unsupervised or like where one Authority figure has access to a pool of like an an all-male institution or something like that, like a boys' town type situation, Mm -hmm. and that once you control for that, the fact that – and you grant that that the Catholic Church is the biggest game in town with that, of course, they're going to have a higher incidence of these things. Sure. Sure. So there is some truth to that, uh, but again, with the qualification of if there is anything that might have inhibited people from coming forward, i.e., having a authority figure that's you know unquestioned,
4: right. a religious
3: yeah. authority figure, those things, I would be willing to gamble that that would affect the rates of reported abuse to suppress them. High, was, higher than
1: in a a school situation like a, a public school, yeah. perhaps. And, and, and again, we're we're speculating, but it it makes sense that uh, you're less likely to narc on the ambassador of God, than you are on your math teacher,
2: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That was part of my problem with that argument was, that, well, first of all, I think the issue here is not the baseline rate of abuse so right. much as the cover-up. Exactly. Ab- abuse is going to happen. You can't necessarily correct human nature in that regard. Mm-hmm. People are going to be, uh, when they have power over others, people are going to abuse. A certain percentage are going to abuse. So the real issue is how is the institution dealing with it? And that has been the number one issue all along. So when people are getting angry at at priests and depicting them as, you know, just by nature predatory, nasty, malicious pedophiles, that's their... Only
1: partly true.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, only two to four percent true. Right. In fact, we can put a number to it. Yes, we can. So, So part of my objection is that's not even the real issue. My other problem is... A lot of this data, backing up this argument, comes from this study from John Jay College.
3: Yeah, this is the – John Jay's college had a nature and scope of the abuse where they gathered thousands of cases from 1950, I believe it was, to 2002. Mm. And so they had a defined period where they had access essentially – or they say that they had complete access to the church's archives of priests that had been forwarded for abuse.
1: Of the abuse cases that the church acknowledged, they had access to. Okay. All right. That already sounds like a a real limitation.
3: so, Take that with a block yeah. of salt. That, yeah, and the data seems reasonably comprehensive as far as these studies go with mm-hmm. there's their data set. Right. And again, like I said before, though, what that's predicated on is that whatever the church records contained was representative in some way that's comparable to other types of institutions, mm-hmm. and that's, I think, the, the problem. So, yeah, the John Jay study, a lot of the studies that, have, that you know have been done have been spawned by this one data set. Mm-hmm. And so if you go and look up, if you try to do research on incidences and reporting of sexual abuse, there's a lot of detailed studies out there. And a lot of them trace back to that one central, large database study of the John Jay College. So clearly, if there's any problems with that data set being representative, that's going to alter the conclusions of, of the study. Right. Right.
1: Now, now, what it, did they find? Did they study the um, number of um, abuse cases in the population as a whole? Because that's that's part of the Catholic argument is. Yes, we have a problem, but it's no more than the population in general. They
3: didn't do that, but what they've compared it is to the literature of other studies that have done that. Okay. So really, it's it's to get a thing about whether it's standard or not, like that figure of two four percent or mm-hmm. whatever the figures right. are of Catholic. They're just re- comparing that to other studies that have been done with sexual similar sexual abuse among the general population. Okay. You know, so which. Again, yes, they are technically correct in that that's about the rate that you get in other studies. But again, one thing that you have to say is are there even – it's almost like uncomparable. Are there other similar institutions that have those amounts of facilities? Even other
1: churches would not – wouldn't qualify.
3: So it's very difficult. I I have no reason to say that the the data – that that's a distortion of the data. Mm -hmm. We just don't know. It's it's very difficult to get a comparable statistic to that.
2: That's the end result. The end result is we don't know.
3: One study put it pretty well when they were assessing this. They say, and I quote here, little is known about sexually offending priests because of many factors, not the least of which has been the Catholic Church's unwillingness or inability to sponsor and lead genuine research in this area. Mm-hmm. Access to subjects has been a primary stumbling block in previous research and, and more research data projects. And so they finished by saying, um, as of this writing, the data are not available and new data might change this whole discussion. So... I guess the the bottom line with that is that there's no reason to think, again, that that's a distortion, that that statement of it's comparable or even less than the general population. They're making that based on these types of of studies and that all that is predicated upon what data the Catholic Church has made available. Hmm.
0: So they're making their own percentage. (laughs) Two percent sounds great. We think we'll give them two. (laughs) That's
1: giving them just enough
3: so that it doesn't look like it's totally made kind of looks honest but kind (laughs)
1: of not.
0: Right. Just as
2: long as it's lower than the juice.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This has been a remarkably (laughs) consistent theme today with the... (laughs) Yeah, it
2: all comes back to the
4: juice.
1: Changing gears radically. Here's what we like to do. We like like to cause a little (laughs) whiplash in our listeners every so often. Here's my attempt at a tie-in. It is frustrating to
2: see these same arguments come up time and time again and need to be debunked and challenged time and time again. But that's kind of the business we're in because on this show, our focus is counter-apologetics. Our focus is looking at religion's claims about itself and the evidence it presents for belief in God, looking at that in a skeptical way. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us have gotten the feeling before, like, why do I do this? Is this going to actually make a dent? Is this doing any good? Also, I think all of us in this room could say that there's something rewarding about engaging in these debates too. We wanted to bring on the show today somebody who's in, in our local area, Grand Rapids, Michigan has been getting out there and engaging in these debates pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. So we have today Justin
0: Schieber.
1: Teen pop sensation.
0: I was in the studio recording a new pop album, so I figured I'd stop <laughs> in. figured I'd say, hey. That's
1: good. You know, puberty has really, is, you have a very nice resonant <laughs> voice now. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. You've lost all your hair, though. beautiful mane of hair.
2: I'll edit that out. That's not fair to you. This is radio. They don't have to know. It's true. <laughs> Justin has been one half of a recent debate series here in Grand Rapids called A Christian and an Atheist Walk into
0: a Coffee Bar. Is coffee, shop. A yeah, coffee shop. A coffee shop. I, w- I was uh, originally saying that we should use bars so that it's a more obvious reference to a joke. Well, yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: as, <laughs> it's a it, as setup, it should be. <laughs> really, <yeah. laughs> right. Right.
3: It would be the atheist drags the Christian to a bar, <laughs> right. forces him yeah, to do his, Christians his vile never drink.
1: That's why all of the bars in Grand Rapids are so sparsely attended because <laughs> right? Christians don't go to bars. But tell us about this debate uh,
2: series and how how you personally got involved in it.
0: Uh, well. Uh, like you said, it's called The Christian and Atheist Walk into a Coffee Shop. Um, me and my friend Andy, uh, the Christian, uh, we met through a mutual friends. Is he actually friend.
1: a friend or are you just being polite?
0: <laughs> no, he's a – I mean I take him in small doses. Okay. He's one yeah, of all those right. kind of friends. Right. You know, yes. I mean you know, we, we get along for the most part. Yes. Um, He would often have groups of people over to his house and talk, you know, Christians, atheists, try to get atheists there Talk apologetics, you know, do that thing, and mm-hmm. and I, being interested in that conversation, would would attend regularly, and uh, eventually, it would always end up just me and him going back and forth, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the the outer rim would just kind of fall away and, and stay silent, and they would they would show up but just to listen, and so mm-hmm. he brought up the idea of hey let's take this public, uh, we can go get it. we can go to a local coffee shop, and uh, you know reserve a certain time. Uh, you know make a Facebook group, invite our friends mm-hmm. and uh, and so that's what we did and we've had i mean it's it's a pretty small coffee shop, but we've had probably twenty to thirty consistent um, people in attendance um, mm-hmm. so which is pretty impressive. Especially because you do these what once a month, once every we uh, it usually ends up being once every three weeks or so. Okay,
1: yeah, so fairly
0: regularly
1: to right. get that kind of audience. That's that's impressive. What are the kind of topics you guys talk about?
0: Um, we've done everything from uh, shoot. We've done the resurrection. Uh, does God exist? Easy topics then. Right, you
1: right. Know, <laughs> just really, really straightforward. <laughs>
0: Yeah. OK. Morality seems to come up pretty frequently. And so we, we we've actually had two full debates on that topic. Nice. What's
2: your what's your personal r- religious background? I mean, what got you interested in the first place and even getting involved in these debates?
0: Uh, well, I was uh, brought into this world as a Catholic baby <laughs> and uh and then around like age 10, I went to – started going to a non-denominational church, which was something that I really kind of fell in love with. It was – uh, I had some really great relationships there, um, took my faith really seriously, and got baptized in a hot tub.
1: <laughs> wow. I've never seen a baptism in a hot tub before. Yeah, That's, in front uh, of
0: everybody. It was wow. – Oh,
1: nice. Yeah, they, they – I should
2: have
0: just My old in. church
1: had a
2: baptismal that was like a whirlpool. Really? Baptismal, we, Yeah.
1: We should do that if we get to TAM and the hot tub party. <laughs> <laughs> um, Baptism hot tub party. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so um, after a while, after, after after taking it seriously for a, a good long time, um, unintentional skepticism started to creep in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the church was my entire social structure, and so I had absolutely every reason to hold on to it. Right. Um so when I crept in it was it, it was very I was very panic stricken and um, so but and and uh, it, so it became more difficult to hold on hold on to beliefs like people living inside of the belly of a whale for 3 days or people rising from the dead these things tend to not survive a consistent applied skepticism mm.
4: mm-hmm.
0: so it took it was a good 2 to 3 years i mean that that struggle of of uh that kind of i am sure everyone kind of goes through this anyone right. who deconverts, it's a very pretty painful process got
1: got to learn to admit it to yourself before right. you can exactly. like, do anything else yeah
0: and so now where i'm fairly comfortable in my position i i look back on that and i think well it would have been nice to have some kind of some kind of thing i could attend to you know here people who like who have been in that position for a while and, mm-hmm. and can actually articulate the uh, the point of view. Um, it would have been nice to have that. And so I think that that's part of my motivation. And also part of it is that um, it's challenging for me sometimes. I mean, there's some times where, um, you know, I'll, I'll hear an argument that I, I haven't heard before, which is extremely mm-hmm. rare, of course. But, right. you know, then then that Causes you to go, you know, look it up and, and find out, you know, because there's always going to be a huge problem in it. it it's right. probably the third reason is that I just enjoy it. It's a fun, right. fun topic. It's 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 usually a pretty good discourse if you can keep it civil.
1: Now, when you were, especially when you were involved with your non-denominational church and all that, were you? Pretty active in the church and outspoken about your religious convictions. Because I, I I have this theory, and I think even D J Grothy talked about this going way back to one of our earliest episodes mm-hmm. about the like the the preacher gene, where there's a lot of us who go from being like Dan Barker, for instance, who are ministers, right. and then when they leave behind their religion, they still have this need to be a preacher of sorts only for, you know, the other side. Right. So we're, obviously now
0: you're fairly active as an atheist. Were you as a Christian? I was active in the sense that uh, I was very involved with the church. I don't know necessarily that I was um, an evangelist in that sense. Okay. Um, but like I was uh, – I, I led worship services <laughs> every okay, now and then. Yeah, but that's in, the kind of
1: thing I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, right, certainly, right. Certainly. But
0: um, – I want to hear more about that. You led worship yeah. services? I well as in not not preaching but singing, playing guitar. Um, singing, you know, the best kind of music that's out there really. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that's what I <laughs> and that's actually where I learned um to play um the instruments that I I play, but um We could get you and Luke on some guitars and <laughs> we we could get a whole little sing
2: along we, we, yeah, we could get, get your wife to. in
1: here with drums, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, and, she could uh, uh, do the
2: piano or the drums and we could start our own pra- praise and worship the band. The anti-praise <laughs> and worship band. <laughs> So yeah, me do yeah. a musical episode once, of Reasonable deaths. Once we're completely dried up and know that there's no chance of the podcast lasting That's any right. longer. Do yeah. you think we'd be able to
0: write <laughs> about 50 praise songs with using three chords? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be a possibility. It might be stretching it, but
2: good
3: point. But they
0: all do sound the
2: same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, It's amazing.
3: Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I think a lot of us, I don't know if it's a, the preacher gene, but a lot of us – you know, we've talked on the show before about like cognitive dissonance reduction, right? Where if you feel strongly about something, you know, in many cases, people who have doubts they proselytize in, in a way to keep to other people to keep up their own to
1: convince themselves, right. themselves yeah. thing sure. and to, uh, s- until it, it utterly collapses, and then yeah. you know, so is that what we're doing now? Yeah. Are you hanging on to your skepticism a, by a thread? That's and a double-edged that's, sword
2: there. Yeah. It is a
3: double-edged sword. That's why I said that is because a lot of us, you know, the people who are the most like strident – the kid you knew in college who was like the libertarian and then he becomes like a Marxist or some crazy right, like whiplash. Right. Whereas the people who are sort of going along with the flow, they go along that with the flow, kind of me, whichever – whether they're believers or not. If they were a lukewarm believer, they are a lukewarm agnostic after that. Whereas right. the people who are the true believers and by God, this is the most important thing ever – when they stop believing they think it's by God this is the most important thing to tell other people right. that I don't believe. It's hmm. probably I don't know what motivates you guys, but a lot of us is what he what Justin just said about being back in childhood and thinking like I wish I would have had somebody tell me all these things, they lied to me, you know, and really? I'm gonna be yeah. that person.
2: Yeah. I yeah, I think that's part of Part of my motivation to do this, it was emerging out into a, a new world of secular thought and philosophy and realizing that it wasn't as demonic and evil and mm-hmm. stupid as I'd been instructed. And yeah, you you want to get out there and you want to...
3: Like when Altamire and Hunsberger did that amazing conversion study, I talked about that at some previous episode where the, there's a really nice, nicely worded conclusion where they come to to talk about the apostates, and they said that the religious test they grew up with about valuing the truth, and this is important, whether God exists or not, and it's true, right. that actually set up their deconversion because the, when the religion failed the test, they clung to this value in general of whatever the truth is, this is important, and we need to talk about that, you know, rather than being, oh, who cares either way, six right. or one half right. dozen or the other. And so that's why I was curious, like, you know, I mean, I think you said sometime before that you even had like a religious experience In a sense of like having some sort of emotional thing.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, I remember staying up all night, having a really great conversation and then like, you know, going to bed and and, like praying before you sleep. And it's just like this complete kind of awe feeling that you get. And then, you know, when uh, I got baptized much later in life, like coming out of that water, like you really do feel like something is like fundamentally changed about you.
3: It's hard to beat a worship service for the music and the sense of oh, yeah. social group cohesion. We all believe this one thing. You right. know, it's, but again, I think we've all seen the dark side of that too, Jesus camp-wise, where mm, you know mm-hmm. you can get a lot of people on, a, mm-hmm. on a raptured well, up in this, this sort of and, group and, think. Yeah. And, so
2: are, are you saying, Luke, at some point the cognitive dissonance may bring you to a tipping point, but then it works the other way? Then you need to go back and show – how all this stuff that you didn't – that you used to believe in was wrong. Was wrong. That's but, somewhat
3: cynical, and I don't think a lot of people would, would you know admit to themselves, like, I'm doing this to quell my own doubts. But I think the one that we were talking about a second ago is probably more valid than that, is, is that we cared a lot about things when we were religious, and we care okay. about the same things when we're not religious. You know, And again, I don't want to speak for anybody else, mm-hmm. but I think part of my whole deal is that um, I care about the truth, and I felt in some ways that right. that, that I was – it's easy to raise kids up and and, and lie to them or not, or not give them that. I consider myself not as a tearing things down, but as an advocate for a truth or a method yeah. of achieving.
1: And, truth. And, and I suppose I don't feel like I'm trying to deal with my own doubts by being a outspoken advocate. What I feel, and maybe I'm just self deluding myself. But what I feel, I look back at who I was when I was in high school. Went to Christian school. I was like the number one voice of the Republican Party in my high school, which is saying a lot. You were a young Republican. I was. (laughs) I
3: can't even imagine that. Yeah, and
1: this is Grand Rapids Christian (laughs) High School, which is pretty much the most Republican school you could ask for. I don't want people who were in my position before to get stuck there. I have kids now, and I think I don't want my kids growing up thinking they're going to go to hell if they do something wrong or that, you know, the paranoia of God watching over you, or really the the myopic worldview that comes with, we're right, everybody else is wrong, and they're going to hell as a result of it, you know? And I I don't want that for my kids or for anyone else.
2: Yeah, when you finally snap out of it, you suddenly realize how many ways you've been manipulated, how many ways you've Mm -hmm. been deceived. And I've often thought people who have all previously been on the other side, have previously been Christians and knew something about apologetics then, actually make better debaters because they're aware of how the other side thinks Absolutely. to some degree. Do you think your time as a Christian helps you
0: to relate better to the Christians in the audience? Possibly because when 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 my, fir- my when my parents first noticed that I was having difficulties, they they suddenly increased in their <laughs> religiosity mm. and they bought um, Lee Strobel's uh, Case for Christ oh. and uh, and I and I also read C.S. Lewis at the time. And um, and those were you know those those help to maybe uh, slow. Pu- the push process. it back and push it further back and, to and retard
1: um, the process, exactly. as
0: it were. Right. <laughs> and so <laughs> it it is a lot of just really bad arguments and kind of really appealing to intuitions I think mm-hmm. is what those books are all about mm-hmm. there really is no they know that they don't have the the ability to compete in that realm so they it's necessarily intuition and and the people that are reading those books are people that want what they're telling them right right um, yeah, and and I did I wanted what they told me it just Turned out that I was able to see through the Jr.: well,
3: do, do any of the people that have attended these sorts of meetings have you ever got any inkling that anything that you're saying is even has made a dent? Yeah, are you get people who are changing.
0: Um, not at these debates specifically, and I guess I wouldn't be able to know, you know, unless they came up and said something. Right, but there course. there have been times where I'll have a particular argument and and someone it'll be kind of attacked in the question and answer period, like every every mm-hmm. every. Question will be regarding that, right? But all, all their answers have been, you know, inadequate to answer the question, and so it kind of seems like they're really grasping for straws. And I think that, that that's kind of telling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of my brother's, he was over at the house at my parents' house, and we had a pretty large gathering there, and we were just chatting it up, and, and these topics came up, and because I was um, conversing with with one of the one of the girls there, and she was talking, she was a pretty Fervent Christian, and uh, so we're going back and forth. So my, my brother's friend was there, and he was thinking in his head. He never actually said a, a word really during the during the conversation, but he was thinking in his head how he would how he would talk, how, how, he, would, how he would respond to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my arguments, and um, he realized uh, within that year I think that he was unable to continue to justify his belief in God, and now he mm-hmm. now he is an atheist. And so it wasn't it wasn't of course my doing. It was just you know putting a little bit of, of uh, you know getting someone to think in a different way than what they're mm-hmm. typically you know and and they and have them be, experience pressure over exactly it too. Mm-hmm. exactly yeah.
1: especially you know in West Michigan and there are other parts of the country in the world that are like this where it's predominantly this the one way of thinking right. Back when I went to Aquinas College, Catholic school. Um, we had a debate uh, it was my CFI group uh, against a group of theology students and we did a debate on the existence of God and the debate went well, it was respectful and, and all of that. And afterwards, I got a lot of people saying, you know, you guys did great. Not that they necessarily agreed with us because many of them were Catholic, but they said, you know, right. good job. You ma- you didn't make yourselves look like monsters. So that's a start, you know. <laughs> and really, that's a huge victory. Oh, yeah. And that that's not something we can overlook is just to have that goodwill on our right. side a little bit. And that felt good. And then one of the guys I was in a debate with, um, his roommate started emailing me because he had been to the debate, and he had a bunch oh, of questions. Remember you remember this, this Jeremy right yeah. because I sent you some of the emails yeah. and just so he would write these really long rambling emails you know challenging me on things, and i 'd respond and he would pretty much ignore my response and ask the question again and it you know very typical of a lot of the debates yeah. that that you can run into um with believers. And I got, I got really busy with school. I, was, I think I was going to start student teaching. And I, I was just taking too much time to respond to this guy. So I just said, you know what? I've been trying. I've been responding to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. And I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. So I'm, I'm just going to leave it for now. Maybe later, if you want to talk some more, we can do that. But right now, I'm too busy to deal with this. Right. Three years go by. Don't hear from the guy. Forgot the guy existed, quite frankly. Just a couple months ago, I got an email from him saying, hey, Dave, just want to let you know that I'm an atheist now. And <laughs> seriously, it, it wow. and blew yeah. me away. And I was like – not not that he was saying you made me an atheist, but right. he said, you know, you really got me thinking and I've been struggling with this since then. And now finally I've, yeah. I've decided I'm an atheist. So – even if it doesn't happen right away, right. and even if you are not the sole cause of it, because I know I didn't sit through one argument and go, "Oh, I'm an atheist now." Right. It was reading lots yep. of different things. It was hearing you from lots of different people. You planted a mustard people.
3: seed. There's um, nobody that's going to like hear one thing and then, and then walk into the meeting and a Christian and walk out an atheist. Exactly. I, like
0: I'm not. I'm not going there to try and to deconvert my opponent. That's not at all my aim. I'm going there, really, really hoping that there's some people that are just slightly less dogmatic. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Or at least even just thinking critically,
1: because as soon as they're thinking critically, it opens that door. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be a a total obliteration to be in the win column.
2: Obviously, we've been telling stories now about a bunch of people. Barriers are are coming down for them. Right. As a result of hearing the other side. Have you found any effective strategies for provoking that response in a person?
0: Barriers to them... Thinking more critically about their faith. Right. Um, I think for for me the one of the biggest uh, difficulties, uh, sources of of, of inner contention for me was the the idea of hell, the the fear of hell. Uh, Pascal's wager played huge Uh, uh into my – into my, uh, you know, my. Why not
1: just believe?
3: You've got nothing exactly, to lose. Exactly,
0: you know, and, and just Except ignoring, ignoring that God wouldn't be able to right. tell. Yeah,
3: exactly, exactly. <laughs> Or that He would reward you for having a cynical, uh, you yeah. know, cover your ass type of <laughs> yeah. right, right.
0: And so I think I, I would say that that's probably the case for a lot of people. I think that it's it's an incredible way to incubate the belief system is to put such a fear like right. that in, into someone, and um, it's a really good reason. It's a great way to to just not think. Other than that, uh, socially, um, if, if, if it's in your entire social structure, you have every reason yeah. to ignore every possible dissonance that could possibly come up. Right, um,
1: which is why we see so many atheists showing up in college when they're – First, you know they move away to college, and are first away from their their family and their support group back
3: home. And churches know that because that's why they try to attempt to keep people corralled into into this.
2: So you're not really arguing just against an argument or just against a belief. There's other stuff going on here. It's Mm -hmm. their personal connections. How does that influence
0: your debating style? What I try to do is, you know, I mean, especially if 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 their social structure uh, looks upon the non-believers and and kind of demonizes them in a way, it's like if I can present myself in a really nice way, uh, being a very friendly person uh, maybe so you lie, running you contrary to what they've been told way, and maybe not eating babies directly in front of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got you to do it in private.
3: What's it like being an atheist? Very lonely. We have no groups, no meetings. You'll be like me reading a book <laughs> in, in, my, in your house watching public television. All I have to af- offer you are, is blood, sweat, and isolation forever <laughs> and ever. And so –
0: And so, yeah, I I mean, all I can do really is try to weaken that that force, that social um, coherence that they that they uh, that everyone requires. And you know, if I can show them that that's not a problem in my life, then you know, maybe that that'll make it more likely that they'll you uh, get
1: along just fine without a church. Exactly, you're a happy, healthy individual. You don't you don't need to have that uh, church structure.
0: Exactly.
2: I think that's a sign of of maturity in engaging the other side is that when you you forego the total intellectual smackdown Mm -hmm. to try to reach another goal because it's self-serving to the speaker to win all the intellectual points, right? And it's what you're supposed to do in a debate, but sometimes paying attention to those other aspects like uh, um, what are their stereotypes of me going in? Mm -hmm. What is really going to serve them? Right, Knowing that a total deconversion is not likely possible. But what, what's going to really serve them? And that might be fighting against their stereotypes of who atheists are or making it feel okay or maybe even a duty for them to pick up atheist literature you know, mm-hmm. and engage with the arguments of the other side
1: directly rather than through an apologist's medium. Especially you know. when you can show them that you have done the same thing. Right. You have read right. their arguments you've read the Bible, the Quran, whatever it, that it's not just you're saying you're stupid. I don't know what you think, right. but
0: it's damn like it, we're, it's we're, wrong. we're both going at the same information. Yeah,
2: exactly. So, um maybe some more fun questions at this point. Uh <laughs> what's the worst argument you've ever encountered?
4: <laughs>
2: oh.
0: <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> um, Probably, you know, I mean you get the I don't know how to explain X, therefore God. Like right. that just that. Just logical connection is tide just guaranteed tide and it's obvious out. to everyone. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's Bill O'Reilly. And yeah, I mean uh, pointing to things like, you know, morality, you know, how could you possibly have this socially cohesive uh, force that we all – you know, that we all have and not it be the product of a god.
1: Yeah. Or right.
0: or right. logic <laughs> or, you know, anything like that. Com- complexity, you know, apparent design. All these things I think are really intuitively compelling. Yes. And that's why they work. And that's why they worked on me. And that's why they worked on all of us for such a long time. But, mm-hmm. but until you show that, <laughs> that's not – that just is a non-sequitur. It doesn't right. – and, and, and positing a god – doesn't explain anything. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It seems to me now, as an atheist, to be
2: one of the most obvious points. <laughs> you would, <laughs> you know, think. like like this yes. doesn't explain it better than Brahma, better than mm-hmm. any infinite number of abstractions
1: well,
0: you could but, come but up Brahma with. But that's just doesn't... the
1: wrong name for my God. That's a See, really hard point to get across to people. Yeah.
0: Explaining a mystery with a mystery is not something that anybody should be taking seriously. Right. Yeah. Right.
2: Well, I guess that comes down to then there's different standards of evidence. There's kind of a different culture in Jeremy, regards to – Jeremy,
1: we all have faith. We all have <laughs> oh, faith in something. Right, 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 right.
2: I guess there really That's is. what it
1: is. But there's – We a... faith in evidence. We have faith in imaginary things. I've, I've <laughs> noticed <sighs> – You've been
2: there, you know. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. This that's why I went, uh I can't <laughs> it's hitting me on a personal level. T- right for those now. listeners who haven't heard <laughs> yeah.
3: there. go back and listen to Jeremy's debate and uh... Yeah, or Don Johnson's show.
2: But there is yeah. there's a different culture as Johnson to show. what is admissible as evidence yeah. or what what counts as as a satisfying response. One example that I could think of is when you learn to think more critically and you start adopting some of the the values of a critical thinker, there are certain intellectual virtues. There are ways of behavior that are endorsed that go along with that. So usually, you know, uh, being a little bit more calm and dispassionate right. when looking at an argument aids the process of critical thinking. Whereas the other side sees, no, no, a compelling argument is one that moves you emotionally and gets right. you all riled up. I mean, that's that's the sign that God is actually working in your spirit, is is that conviction that you feel, and there you have a total disconnect. You know, if if I'm I might be trying to show that I'm coming to this through sober reason, because to my crowd, right. that's going to mean that's something. Right. But to their side, that's going to completely fall flat. That's gonna that's gonna come across as, you know, this person
0: obviously is just this cold logic chopping. Right. Uh, and individual. if their guy can can stand up there with with some very finely tuned rhetoric and a loud voice and can act authoritatively, then that's exactly what the other side. Wants Thanks, to Cliff. Uh, right. Yeah.
1: So. So what, <laughs> what do
0: you think we do with that, Justin? Do we try to
1: hold on? Hold on, Jeremy. Do you mind telling the story? Because you're talking <laughs> about that. And I think it's a great story. I
2: am talking about that. <laughs> um, OK, uh, to give you an example, recently uh, I got into an argument with a, uh, one of my in-laws over the uh, the Ground Zero Mosque, and I was I was taking this kind of the the almost a Socratic take. Well, let's identify one of their one of their values: freedom of religion. <laughs> right. Uh, let's try to <laughs> let's try to establish that that belongs to groups other than just theirs, or or that any. Uh, that his reasons for wanting to deny that to Muslims, he would never take as reasons for denying that to Christians. You mm-hmm. know, Try to show them that there's some inconsistency in making their thinking. Making a logical argument. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just walking through the argument. And he stopped me in my tracks and said, uh, said, well, you're not sharing your beliefs. You're just making an argument. I could write volumes of yeah. commentary uh, yeah. on that one alone <laughs> as to – he he actually values more just adamantly stating your conviction right. rather than building a case but for I it. But I
0: believe this. Yeah, right.
2: and I, I said to him, well, that's, that's what rational people do, right? Uh, we don't just shout our opinions at each other. Uh, we try to share why we believe what we believe and – and when you do that, even if you come to a disagreement in the end, you might learn something about the other person's position and, and uh, maybe be able to walk away from it w- with some sort of mutual understanding.
4: Right.
2: That's just what rational people do. And he got in my face and said, well, I'm not a rational person, <laughs> to which I was absolutely stunned. But he didn't see this as any kind of it, like my response was well Jesus you sh- you should have said that twenty minutes ago we could have avoided this entire thing. Ugh. But he didn't see that as an admission of of weakness. He he rather he was asserting that as a as a strength. Now that's the most extreme co- case I've ever encountered. It's fantastic. Uh, but I'm, I'm wondering like you know do you encounter these kind of cultural disconnects? Oh yeah.
0: Uh, uh, <laughs> I can't think of any specifics. I just know that it tends to be much louder, tends to be a much more impassioned, and a lot about quoting theologians and stuff, and like really good, top-notch rhetoric, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not something that I'm—that's my strong point. And it—it it does take a lot of discipline, sometimes more than I necessarily have to stay calm and and to just you know proceed. Uh, in in a civil manner and and just talk and and give out the points that are necessary and and cut off the like the emotional taglines that that need to be there well, that's kind of where I was going with that is that so that is that's your that's right. your
2: strategy is to not give in don't don't emulate their style but try to bring people into our own style, which would be proceeding calmly logically and that sort right. of thing. Mm. Cuz mm. I've I've wondered uh, what do you do? Part of what I want the other side to learn is is this is how you appropriate look appropriately look at issues is to approach them try to take all your vested interest out of it. Try to approach it approach it as objectively and rationally as possible. At the same time there's another side of me that's saying they're just going to ignore the boring guy at the podium. Maybe you need to spice it up. Maybe right. you need to throw in a few more of the anecdotes and s-
1: come to it from the style that they're used to hearing. Well, and, and now speaking as Use some, their someone who of, has a degree in communication and has taught public speaking, I think – Is that a subject subject? Communication? Yeah. <laughs> field of study. I, I've
2: sometimes wondered a what a of degree study. in
1: communication Me too, means, and I have but, yeah. one. Um, <laughs> but my point is, and I, I think to toot our own horn briefly, I, this show kind of emphasizes the point is that if, if you're just the boring guy at the podium, they won't listen to you. Um, I think you do need to have – you n- do need to be a good speaker. You do need to use some of the tools that they use without necessarily playing their game of the you know appeals to emotion and that sort of thing. Um, I think it's Randy Olson has uh, a book out called Don't Be Such a Scientist. Mm-hmm. And this is the guy who made the movie Flock of Dodos. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. And he's very much pro-science. He used to be a marine biologist I think. But uh, his point is that the the reason we're losing the cultural war is because we're bad at presenting our arguments because we present them the way – we present them to the public the way it would be compelling to each other, not to the way it would be to the opposition. Whereas the opposition knows how to work a crowd and it's what we do on the show here too. It's not a dry – Commentary about this with nothing but well, logical arguments. Sure as arguments. hell when I'm talking. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But we, that's how we balance it. Yeah, oh, <laughs> Jeremy. Okay. I get it. I get know. it. So I, I, I think <laughs> I don't think we have to see using um, some of the techniques of of good rhetoric as stooping to their level necessarily. Right. No, no, not a dichotomy you know. there. Exactly. Exactly.
0: It's a good point. Um. Yeah. Not everyone can be a Christopher Hitchens. A, a lot of rhetoric that that. Uh, you know, that has sound argumentation behind it. Yes. Um, not everyone can do that. Yeah. And, and that and that's
1: the tricky thing because we can't right. just do, we can't just be funny. We can't just appeal to emotion. We have to have the content to back it up too. Exactly. So after they laugh, they go, oh, right, right. that Hitchens has a point there. Whereas Cliff from your debate, Jeremy, he can just spout and make all these emotional appeals and it sounds good. It and sounds like, great. Because oh. this <laughs> yeah. is what I already agree with. People think, oh, no no problem. So we yeah. have
2: to do both. Yeah, there is a big burden on us yes. <laughs> as far as that is concerned. Part of the reason why we debate, I think, also is because it is just fun, as you said. Fun stuff happens. I was wondering, is from your experience debating now, how many debates have you gotten in uh, with this series? Probably about 10 or 12. them. 10 or 12, so oh. quite a bit. Yeah. Was there any moment that just stood out to you as being... Particularly humorous or <laughs> frustrating
0: or both. Anything that you're gonna r- remember. Well, <laughs> years after, down we the line. A, after we had okay, we did one where it was, um, the the subject was on morality, and at the end of that debate, um, you know, pretty much the whole debate was me being defensive, um, showing why of I course. do have a ground because in, the in burden my...
1: is on you to prove why you can be moral.
0: Yeah, right. right. <laughs> well, why I how I can make moral statements. Yes. How I can refer to something as a moral value and it actually be in existence. And at the very end of that debate, I challenged the, my, my opponent in saying that, OK, you know, if this is true and if your, your moral justification lies within the Bible, is there a way that you can say that slavery is immoral and at the same time be able to justify that statement? And so the next debate we did was all about slavery. Oh. And so mm. – I uh, started showing how my my view accounts for me being able to say that slavery is can be is, is immoral, bad, mm-hmm. and that we all have reasons to condemn it. And he went on saying things couldn't even possibly remember all, all the different things. It was essentially that the slavery in the Bible is not the same as the slavery um, that you know we all think American about South, of the American yeah, South, okay. right? That and and, and among other things, in fact, one of them being that slavery is actually a merciful act because usually they would just murder the entire – country oh, okay. i am not joking here <laughs> and so at the well, very end better than our god commanding genocide <laughs> <laughs> exactly so so we, we go further in that debate and stuff and so he's he's very much relying on this that slavery is is, is fundamentally different from the kind of slavery that we're typically thinking yeah. about
3: okay well so, like indentured servitude is what they are exactly using, right?
0: exactly so much at the better. very at the very end at the very end and my as my closing statement i read a um a passage from I, I believe Leviticus, and I might be wrong, um, about how you may purchase slaves from the foreign countries mm-hmm. and pass them on as permanent inheritance. Permanent inheritance, not six years to the. Right. You know, um, you're
1: purchasing a person. Right.
0: You are. You're purchasing a person, selling them as property. Mm-hmm. And I read that as, at the end, which was really well placed <laughs> in the debate. And at the, and as a response to that. He simply says, Well shit happens. And, <laughs> and like everyone like erupted. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what could you what do you possibly mean? And he's like, Well, how can you call that bad? And and of course that's not the question we were addressing. We were addressing how he justifies oh, it. Okay.
1: Yeah,
0: and so he um, well, he didn't do too great on that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so
0: I, mean, I got the I got the Christian to curse. So <laughs> nice.
2: that's, that's a victory. My right goal there. is fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 uh, might be a new tool on the apologists toolbox there like the <laughs> shit happens card
3: well that's what's the that's the so NIV translation the, the King James translation <laughs> <laughs> the King James translation of that apologetics would be and thus it came to pass <laughs> <laughs> So what, when scholars do that, what can we have for something passing out? Oh, I don't know. Uh, shit, Shit happens. happens.
2: <laughs> oh, dear God. Oh. Well, thank you, Justin, for joining us on the show today. And thank you so much for what you've been doing in our community to get out there and to debate these issues. And we certainly hope that it continues to be a success. Yeah, I hope so, too. <laughs>
1: All right, and we're going to wrap up this episode with a props coming out of Egypt, which isn't really the land of props on the show. Yeah, I don't think Egypt is on the props list too often. No, no, and and this is a story about uh, Muslims and Coptic Christians working together a little background here um on new year's eve in egypt in the city of alexandria 21 coptic christians were killed by a group of of muslims this is this is not the props
0: Away. <laughs> <laughs> Just end it right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> take care, everyone. But then, <laughs>
1: now, of course, Coptic Christians have celebrate Christmas um, at a, in January, as opposed to in December, like uh, normal people. Not a kid. And what happened was when they were celebrating their Christmas, they had their Thursday night mass <clears throat> for Christmas. In order to protect these Christians who had become a target to Muslim extremists, other groups of Muslims formed a, a human shield mm-hmm. around their churches. And this happened wow. throughout yeah. Egypt.
2: Multiple churches, thousands of Muslims coming to And this,
1: this included um, movie stars. This included televangelists. This included politicians. Students, politicians. Politicians. Um, Truly remarkable. And, and, and there's a statement for, here from uh, Dahlia Mustafa, who's a student who attended the mass at Virginia Mary Church. Um, she said, this is not about us and them. We are one. This is an attack on Egypt as a whole. And I am standing with the Copts because the only way things will change in this country is if we come together. Nice. That's an excellent yes, message. So
2: to the whole, where are the moderate Muslims? There are some. In Egypt. There (laughs) are a couple of thousands there in Egypt. They're they're forming human
1: shields to protect their Christian uh, countrymen. So props seems uh, like not nearly enough for for an act like this.
2: uh, Or I hope this is just a beginning of things to come. Not just
3: a Coptical illusion.
1: (laughs) 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 And on that note, note. that's going to do it for us this week. Until next time, (laughs) send us your comments, questions, challenges, (laughs) gripes, and suggestions to doubtcast at gmail.com. So thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion.